0: After over a decade of being a band, the Scottish group Delamitri exploded in the States with their outrageously poppy song, Roll To Me. This week, we're joined by comic book artist and drummer of The Swellers, John O'Diener, to discuss why he loves this song, how bizarre the music video is, and how this may be the most upbeat song of the 90s.
1: It is all you need to make the money guaranteed, and you can live off royalties
0: forever, and it makes me wonder, is it just
2: a wonder, or is it one hit thunder?
0: All right. So, John, you chose Delamitri Roll to Me. And right off the bat, I'm going to say I was way too punk for this song in 1995. This was when I, when I heard this song. Regardless of how catchy it was or whatever, I was way too cool for this song. Were you too cool for this song at the time is my first
1: question. I was absolutely not too cool for this song. All right. <laughs> my origin with the song, I heard it in the Flipper the Movie trailer. that was playing on TV. And keep in mind, it's not on the soundtrack. It was literally only in the commercial, like the trailer for it. So I was like, this is the happiest thing in the world. I love it. Yeah,
0: it is over the top for sure. And I'm going to go down the list that I looked up of, of what I was listening to in 1995 and why I thought this song was so terrible. But now I probably, I don't like this song better than these albums I'm going to name, but I could Definitely like this song now and appreciate it. But 1995, keep in mind, was rancid and out come the wolves, melancholy and life on a plate. No Use for a Name, Leche Con Carne. All Pummel, Face-to-Face, Big Choice, and No Effects, I Heard They Suck Live. That was probably my six CD changer. That was probably what was in there. So when I heard, look around your world, pretty baby, I was probably so mad about it. <laughs> There's no punk beat. I hate yeah, this. <laughs> absolutely not. But now I, I would be so psyched to write a song like this. <laughs>
2: When I was doing research for this one, um, I stumbled upon a headline. I didn't bother reading the entire article, but it was from The Independent from 2002. And it was a feature on the band. And the headline of the feature was Del Armitri, even we don't like our own music.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I saw Del Armitri was... They were, they're one of those bands that are not psyched about their one hit. They said it was a throwaway pop song. But then, Jono, I don't know if you dove into the catalog at all, but I don't understand why they could say that because every song that I heard was also <laughs> just as much of a pop song. So that thing that irked them didn't really make sense to me.
1: My personal experience, my fiance, well, you know, potentially by the time this airs, my wife, this is going to be crazy. Um, Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. I usually just say something like that and wait for a, you know, applause or something. Yeah, woo! Um, Wow, thanks so much. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So we are like total suckers for like '90s super pop hits. Yeah. So one of the things I was talking about was fastball. Like when we were initially talking about doing an episode, but then it was like an hour long drive somewhere. And my fiance and I were looking up the story of fastball. And I was like, they had like five major hits. Like I had no idea And I'm like, okay, I guess that doesn't work. Damn it. So right. then, uh, we put on like literally on every time we're driving anywhere. Roll to me always comes up. Cause it's just like the dumbest, most mindless, happy song out there. And what's funny is like, I imagine, especially doing a podcast about one hit wonders. You've heard when you're listening to, uh, album X by band X, And then you get to the single and it's totally mixed a different way. Um, There's like a ton of ear candy in it and like all this wild stuff. Like, for example, I mean, they're not a one hit wonder by any means, but Third Eye Blind, like Semi Charm Life sounds nothing like the rest of their album, like even sonically, not just the way the song is written. So I was always like they probably have like 12 string in a lot of their songs and it's like super cracky snare drum and just really poppy and out there. And then like (laughs) I started I was like. I don't think I've ever listened to this album. I just always listen right. to the song. Yeah. So then I went to the beginning and I was like, what the hell's going on? Like yeah. this
0: <laughs> This actually
1: sucks. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, how crazy the De- was a band since nineteen eighty. I-, I don't understand how that's possible. But they're also Scottish. Yep. <laughs> which is really strange to me. I don't know. Have you been to Scotland? Yeah. Okay. Could you understand anything anyone was saying
1: to you while you were there? Can I get a picture or a photo?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yet somehow the vocals in this song, there's not a single word that you don't understand
1: crystal clear. (laughs) But it's so jarring, though, when you listen to anything else from them, because it's not like that either. Like they almost had like a vocal coach to like, hey, sound more American for this, you know? Right. The other stuff, it's like I, I think there's two different singers or something, but like they're Scottish as hell on a lot of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they're proclaimers. I said this to Jono. I don't know if I actually love this song or if
2: it's just because it's in one of my favorite Scrubs moments, but mm-hmm. the song Tell Her This is like just an acoustic breakup song. I really love that song. And then I put together the playlist for us and I was like, oh, okay, so the rest of this
1: is not good.
2: <laughs> like, this yeah. is
1: not great. And And it is strange too, because like, You know, there's a lot of times where sometimes it's the flip where let's say they have like the big poppy song, but then the rest of their stuff is amazing. And you're like, oh, man, people know them." So, for example, for me, like not a surf is a huge one like that, where like that's actually my favorite band and everyone only knows them from the song Popular, but their later records are the ones that I love the most.
0: Po- Popular's barely a song. It's like it, a, yeah. it's like an interlude
1: or something. But like also keep in mind like the 90s was just all like talk rapping for yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> so like th- that's why it's so funny for this because like and even like the playlist that Matt made, I was going through and I'm just like all of these sound like a totally different band. Like there is no consistency they out of nowhere try and sound like pearl jam and like a worse pearl jam right and then like it's bizarre and then like you could i forgot what song it was because i i listened to so many to just get in the headspace for this and you know the headspace is what the hell's going on with them there's like one other song that has like a 12 string and they're very clearly trying to like Capture that sound on their next album for only one song, right. and it's a total <laughs> swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm actually a little upset that you picked Delarmitri when you definitely could have gotten away with doing a Nata Surf episode. First of all,
0: you've been mispronouncing the name of this band since day one, Matt. Oh yeah, Del <laughs> I He's been he's been calling him Armitri for months now. Delarmitri. <laughs> every, every time we've been talking about doing this, like I don't mean to call you out on that, Matt, but. Have some fucking respect for
1: Delamitri, bro. I always say, too, for podcasts, you don't really need to know how to speak, you know, since it's such a visual medium. Right.
2: Exactly. The closing credits to every one of these shows, I still have Chris's last names phonetically spelled out in the notes because I was saying it wrong for so long.
0: (laughs) One thing I was thinking that would make Delamitri quite possibly my favorite band, if this was to be, is, I mean, you guys have obviously seen the music video for it right
2: oh my god it's so good <laughs> um,
0: imagine imagine if you went to see delimitri and it was actually four babies with, <laughs> four, four, four babies with life-size heads that would that would probably put me over the edge and this would actually be my favorite band but uh, i
2: i love that video as a kid because it reminded me of my favorite nickelodeon show wienerville
0: that's a deep nickelodeon cut man this is getting off topic a little bit but this week I got to experience. I showed a seven-year-old kid Ren and Stimpy for the first time, and oh, wow. <laughs> to see him like cracking up at the log commercial, like the log commercial was the <laughs> yep. first. Like I had told him about it beforehand, and it was the very first thing that came on, and he was just cracking up. And I'm like, "Wow, I'm experiencing, <laughs> I'm experiencing this through a seven-year-old's eyes, and it's awesome." So, uh, Dude,
2: yeah. Nick, I mean, while we're on the topic, let's just follow the tangent for a little bit. But like Nickelodeon in its early days, was insane. And there's a friend of Geekscape who was one of the original writers for Rocco's Modern Life. And he was telling us that the way that that show came together was that Joel Murray, who created the show, didn't expect to sell it to a kid's cartoon, like to a kid's channel. He just like pitched it as as a goof and they bought it. So then he went to all of the nightclubs in Los Angeles and only signed the filthiest comics he could find to be the writers of this kid show. So they could figure out how far they could push things Whoa. before like Nickelodeon would like stop them.
1: And he said there was only ever one note from anything that he had written for four seasons. So I'm 32 and I remember I was obsessed with Ren and Stimpy. My dad like watched the shows with us too. So like, even he would laugh at the stuff. It wasn't just like mindless, like two year old garbage. Like, right. You know, my nephew's watching now where it's like, look at these bright flashing lights and I'm going to jump around and sing. Like, it was just like, (laughs) oh, this wasn't really written for kids, but, you see like a cartoon animal talking and you go, oh, I love it. And you don't even hear what they're saying. You just <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, this is stimulation. Cool. Dude, as an artist, what do you feel
0: about that? That, st- that style is so striking on Ren and Stimpy. Like everything from like, you know, just the characters in general uh, to those like still shots that are very detailed and disgusting. You know,
1: I uh, oh, like the zoom ins.
0: Yeah. I, I haven't oh, yeah. seen that style of animation and and really art before that but we we got off of uh for a second there Uh, (laughs) how dare you (laughs) dude uh the thing that i think about every time i hear this song is i don't know Jonah. where do you live
1: uh i'm in a suburb of flint michigan
0: Oh, okay, cool. Do you have like a Wish
1: 99.7 radio station? Whatever that means, I could tell, so yes. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) but always like, it'd be like Wish 99.7, and it'll always play. Yeah, it's easy, easy listening, adult contemporary, and it will always play a clip of Roll To Me. Like, without fail, there's always like, look around your world, pretty baby. That song will be here long after we are i'm sure on which kind of
1: music yeah <laughs> it creates this strange feeling of like walking around a boardwalk or a amusement park with your parents as a little kid right and it's just like <laughs> such good like safe i'm outside and there's a bunch of white tourist music <laughs> yeah
0: oh yeah this is
1: this is the whitest song ever
0: written <laughs> no no doubt about that and also what i thought was <laughs> This is funny too. I went and watched the music video today. for For anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, you should probably pause and go watch it. But basically, it's these like supermodels pushing around baby carriages with babies with life size heads singing the song. But the top comment on it, which had had the most likes, was. None of those women had babies.
2: <laughs> oh <my gosh.
0: laughs> Which I thought was really fucking funny.
2: <laughs> I want to go back to something O mentioned earlier, where he was talking about how like this was in the Flipper trailer, and it's just like such an overly happy song, like arguably the happiest of songs. And if somehow someone listening isn't familiar with this song, there's. Two different skits that I remember SNL doing that both had kind of the same punchline. The one was that they were trapped in a movie theater that just kept playing trailers, and every single trailer had Walking on Sunshine as (laughs) the music in it. And then the other one was them promoting a movie called Rocket Dog, where a boy builds a rocket ship for his dog, but they killed a lot of dogs making the movie. So they kept showing clips with a post-mortem for uh, every dog that died. And every single time the song was life is a highway. (laughs) I feel like Roll To Me is like right in that same category where it's like, all right, what's just a super cheesy upbeat pop song that will make this really dark thing. Very funny, very quickly. And like Roll To Me is just like right there behind life as a highway and walking on sunshine as an option
1: yeah uh, dude are you familiar with the song brave by sarah barry alice i don't know yes did <laughs> yeah. you see the snl skit about that no but i'll have to look that up was, i think it was like vanessa Bayer or something but it's like them like saying like it's just getting progressively more fucked up stuff. And then it like breaks into the song, like say what you want to say. And they're all like, (laughs) just like women, like dancing, like eating yogurt and like being like free spirited and stuff. But like, it just gets like darker and darker. Cause like that song was so big and used in like 15 commercials at once. And like, a week later, SNL was like, Oh no, we got this. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, that that's funny. I would like to figure out what are like walking on sunshine. I don't know if I've told my walking on sunshine story before. I
2: have not heard a walking on but,
0: sunshine but, story. But my but this this would be like the perfect SNL skit. But my walking on sunshine story is in my mid-20s, I had what you might call a little bit of a gambling problem. <laughs> and I was playing internet poker like a maniac. And I at some point like lost this big hand and it was to the point where I had to go to the bank at like, right when it opened to put like my last 50 bucks into my account. So it didn't overdraw, but I remember getting up, having stayed up all night and got into my minivan and turned it on and walking on sunshine just came <laughs> blaring out of the radio. So that's what I always think about when I hear that song, but that's probably, yeah, that song, this song, it has to be up there of like the most over the top happy song imaginable yeah maybe that i'm not gonna write you a love song i i I don't know like just i guess the 90s had a lot of them
2: (laughs) this Uh, song was so cheery that even when four years strong covered it they couldn't not make it a cheery pop song like
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's just crazy and you know when you look at 1995 as a year like i named a bunch of punk rock albums that came out that time but in general you had some pretty like I don't know, groundbreaking, especially in the world of alternative music. Like I, I'm looking at the list right here, like Radiohead, the Benz came out that year. You know, like you have some of the like most crushing, sad, beautiful songs in, in Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness came out that year. Bjork Post, uh, one of my all time favorite albums came out that year. It was an amazing year for, for albums. We've talked really. about
2: before that like 90, ni- I would say like 93 to 96 Is just like, especially on the alternative radio, was like a you couldn't think of a better time for music.
1: Also, out of curiosity, how old are both of you? If you don't mind, okay. And I'm gonna be 35 soon. Okay, so both of you, like at least slightly more, were able to like appreciate, like mine was more so like. I'm a literal six year old (laughs) (laughs) being like flipper. Hell yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, in in a more pleasant uh, unsweary version as a kid, but only was (laughs) introduced to like Nirvana and stuff like that through like older family, like cousins or the cool kid that babysat us, like that kind of stuff, you know, but going back like the nineties is like by far my favorite time for music. And obviously there's a lot of really strange, like, bubble gum it's like it just like reeks of like capitalism and like bleach blonde hair you know right <laughs> um but like then the alternative stuff because like nirvana was doing well you know major labels started freaking out and like just throwing cash at like bands that very much should not be on a major label but they're like they could be the next nirvana and everyone was saying that so it spawned like massive careers for like drive like jehu for example it's one of my favorite bands and they totally should not have been on a major label but they wrote this like crazy weirdo angry stuff that
0: is crazy nirvana kicked that door open for like avant-garde and like you know what they called alternative bands so much so like my my example i know i've said on this podcast before is fucking ween ween got to be a huge band on a major label that would not have happened at any other time other than this time you're talking about Jono, where, you know, you, you had this, this explosion of like raw and weird and yeah. And ma- and also major labels, people buying compact discs and major labels, having a ton of money and being able to just like let bands do their thing and not have to be shaped into some sort of you know what's what's going to be popular on the radio or whatever. And I don't know if that will ever happen. Yeah, it probably will never happen again. But it's fucking cool. It's <laughs> yeah.
2: it's but it's. I think I talked about this on the Toadies episode. But like, I think that there is a very good reason why we don't find ourselves talking about a lot of one-hit wonders, say circa like ninety-one to ninety-three. But it's like that post like Kurt Cobain is now gone and now they're trying to sign any band that they think will be able to like take that mantle. So you're getting like the toadies having their only hit, the butthole surfers having their only hit. Like they're just like grasping at straws at this point for anybody. And I think that that's why like I do love that era, like that post grunge, post Kurt Cobain. they're just signing bands because they're hoping that they're going to somehow work and they're all getting like their one hit and then you know a few of them were able to hang on
1: but like most of them they were gone and you got to keep in mind too like there's with the cool alternative stuff going on there's also like the cream of the crop pop coming out to like battle that because i always look back at like with like rose colored glasses or whatever but like my friends who are in their 40s now that like I play in another band called Braided Veins, which is like, you know, like Refuse, Bronx, Drive Like Jehu who style stuff. And they are they were like in the music scene already in the 90s. So I'll be talking to them about this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this. And then they'll be like, yo, fuck that, man. That shit sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that like influenced me. And they're like, no, the thing that influenced them is cool, but they suck. And that, you know, that happens like with every generation. Sugar Ray, for example, like or Lit, like. When I like first of all, I legit really loved Lit. That album is like quirky pop punk, but just heavy and like with wheezery vibes without that. And the production is so fucking good. It's like Arena Rock ska.
2: Like that's like the way I just cause there's like three or four songs with like a horn section on it for no reason. On the yeah. that lit album is so weird.
1: How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba.
0: I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off.
1: I love it. (laughs) And and like the chord choices are really like creepy and strange, like miserable or whatever, like that whole song, like what a good, weird rock hit that um, is a good song but, but then you back up a little bit and then you see these guys wearing like flaming dice like button-up <laughs> shirts and like pompadours and like you know that that to a lot of people is like no fuck that <laughs> and right like, and i and i see why people see it in that way you know because that was like if, if you listen to the music and then you see them you totally feel a different thing once you see what they look like. So, you know, that stuff was happening while like helmet and like Quicksand and all these other bands are doing stuff. And like, I wasn't aware of those bands at the time, but I was like, Oh man, the stuff's on the radio. And I remember like specifically my brother and I, so he was also in the swellers with me. Like our music world is so in tune with each other because we are like a little over a year apart. So, I remember it was like for Christmas or his birthday or something like that. And we asked for like X amount of albums. And then what we ended up getting was Jewel, Mighty Mighty Boss Cheryl Sheryl Crow, Rob Zombie. <laughs> like it was literally <laughs> like you just throw a rock at the radio and whatever hits is what you get, you know?
0: Right, right. I
1: feel like there is this time where you don't have guilty pleasures or like, I guess, taste in music. So you're just like, I heard it. It's great. And yeah. then that you know, goes away over time when like perception gets added to it. So it's, it's really interesting how like now when I look at music, I have like my five facets of like, what does it sound like? What does it make me feel? Are the guys in the band douchebags? Does this actually benefit anything? And is this technically proficient or is it just easy listening? Dude, like,
0: there's so many, yeah, so many factors.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and like, and that's what shapes everything. So like part of, uh, I guess like maturing for me, cause I'm, I'm like, you know, Even though I'm younger than both of you, I'm also like a super jaded, bitter music dude. And (laughs) like, that's what happens when you tour. It's like getting hit in the face with a rejection baseball bat for 15 years. But like, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I think it's okay that I like pop. And like, and and when I say pop, I mean like, like this Delamitri song. I'm like, it's so like primal, but it makes me feel nice. And yeah. then there's a difference between that and then like you open TikTok for a second and it's like 12 year olds listening to trap beats and you're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I don't think I need that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, but this other stuff from my childhood, like there's like a mixture of like nostalgia and just like primitive goodness that comes out of it. Right.
2: Well, and I think that you bring up an interesting thing with like that, that little box that you live in, that is your childhood, because there's so many songs for me I'll have a memory associated to a song that ultimately was like not even remotely a popular song, but I heard it on the radio and it connected with me at that time. So in my mind, it was like one of the biggest songs in the world. And then like you go and look at the charts or talk to any other human being that grew up around that same time. And they have no clue what you're talking about, because it was like for me, it was like a singular experience hearing like one or two songs that I fell in love with and just assumed, well, I heard on the radio, so it had to be successful. Yeah. Yeah
0: if you get to a point and I think, you know, O got to this, this point is what he's talking about. And I got to this point long ago. I like, I like pop music and, and, and hip hop and R and B music. Now, like you get to a point where you're not, you're just listening to the music itself. You're listening to the sonic quality and the melodies and whatever, and not so much worrying about, you know, in the nineties, I liked fat Wreck and epitaph bands and stuff. And, you know, maybe I didn't think lit was so cool <laughs> because <laughs> they were on MTV and wearing yeah flaming shirts and dice. And I didn't really think no doubt was that cool, you know, cause they're, they, but now it's, it's like, I think all these bands are cool. And it's like that point you brought up about like, yeah, you play in a band, with dudes are older than you who maybe knew the guys from these bands that you're, you're talking about. And I mean, dude, that's a, that's a whole other conversation of like when you meet people on tour and they're yeah. not, not that I feel like I've had a, Pretty good experience with that in general. I think ninety eight percent of like the people that I've met or toured with have been pretty cool. But when you meet somebody who's <laughs> not, and and then you try to like the music after the fact, it's it's near impossible, man. When they yeah, make a bad like, impression,
1: <laughs> like so. I was working at Starbucks for a few years after our band ended, and it was really funny for me because I'm like in my twenties working with kids that are like eighteen, and like literally just like I would like come home from a tour from like with like no trigger or whichever band and it was just hilarious for me because like someone would be like oh yeah I've been listening to blah 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 and I'm like really you know them and they're like yeah they're huge I'm like huh they used to open for my band
0: (laughs) right (laughs) and then they're like
1: oh and then like, and I have to like stop myself from like having to tell the story about every band yeah. so my friend kelly and her boyfriend jay they're they just turned 21 so they are like 11 years younger than me but like kelly i worked with that starbucks and she was always super cool and like over the years i've like in my head like looked at myself as like a mentor in a way so i'm like hey we have a bunch of like pots and pans we're getting rid of do you want them You just moved into an apartment like, and like trying to be like the cool older person that I had growing up, you know, with like my cousins or whoever. And it was really funny because they, whenever they come over, they're like, Oh yeah. Like, have you heard blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, and they're like, what was that? I'm like, uh, nothing. And they're like, yeah. are you going to ruin this band for me too? And I'm like, do you want me to? Because I could.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir with that shit.
1: Yeah. There's but- the good guy's bad band, which is the one thing. The yeah. GGBB. And then there's the straight up like, yeah, I gave that a shot. I don't listen to them anymore. I don't have you're to right. tell you why. But if you if you want, I have great stories. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Dude, isn't it the worst when like a band of bad people get really, really, really famous. And you got to, you just know Yeah, you're
1: describing Warp Tour, but what were we talking about? Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, going back to the Delamitri and like what, one thing that I was going to ask, how could a song like this in 1995? So we're, we're still, you know, okay. Kurt Cobain's gone, but we're still in like the heart of what you're talking about, where there's all these Alternative bands and looking, you know, we talked about the amazing albums that came out this year. How does this song happen? Not only does, how does this song happen? How does this song become huge in the heat of all of that? I don't, I don't really even understand <laughs> Is so, it a rejection of that, or I don't know.
1: I, I feel like it's a healthy dose of finding an audience that's very obviously there. So like you could still make accessible music that has nothing to do with alternative. So like regardless of Nirvana being the biggest band in the world, didn't mean that everyone loved Nirvana. They just got a lot of people into that type of music that weren't into it before. So there was always a place for this like feel good pop stuff. And like, you know, diving more into Telemetry's history, like they're very much like 80s runoff. So in that world, it was like, especially in the 90s, it was you get your one single and you're good to go. That's all you need. So you just keep pushing until you get that single. essentially i imagine they were like breaking out in the u.s with that and you know we're also seeing like bands like fastball everclear like even if they were (laughs) it's funny saying in you know retrospect but even if they were more hard-edged compared to uh (laughs) to (laughs) delimitri you know it, it was just a good easy pop song and then the 90s were so big for music videos so they did a Dumbass music video that did the job.
2: But the other thing to think about, Chris, is like we're looking at the albums of that year, which is an interesting distinction because you look at like the best selling records, the people who are buying physical albums, full CDs. It was all these alternative bands. But then when you look at the charts, like when this song peaked at number 10, which was on November 4th of 1995, some of the other songs that were on the chart above it at that time was like Back to Good by Take That. I Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and the Blowfish. As I Lay Me Down by Sophie B. Hawkins, Kiss from a Rose by Seal. So, like, pop was still dominating the mainstream radio. It was just that people were buying the Kiss from a Rose single and then also buying, like, Jagged Little Pill, the whole album. Yeah,
0: so, dude, I guess that's a good point. When I look at this, wow, these are some really feel-good songs. Like. The november of 1995 must have been a really happy time because <laughs> that that you know we had this only want to be with you by Houdini blowfish that's a ridiculously uh happy song uh then number one was fantasy mariah carey which is another one of those like over the top such a happy song so yeah i don't know yeah it's it's crazy so you know, there were there were those people out there, I guess, listening to whole albums and sulking in their bedroom. And then there were the people buying the singles and just partying. It's the mid 90s. Not a care in the world. Not a not a Trump in the world. In, 19, <laughs> in 1995.
2: Even like the like the number one single, like you said, mariah carey fantasy like i remember seeing that music video debut before the mtv music awards like that was like the big build-up while you're waiting for the show to start was like we got the new mariah carey music video and it was basically just her on a roller coaster for three minutes like it was just you can't get more happy-go-lucky than
1: than the sample that she used and people just riding a roller coaster in the summer right and like this sounds strange but like you also have to keep in mind that even though Nirvana was getting big and all the stuff was happening, pop was still kicking its ass, you know? And like, and this is before like rap was becoming like the biggest thing. Like, like this was very much like, what is the stuff my mom is stoked on? And like (laughs) Hootie and the Blowfish just being this like super granola stuff, you know? Like, so my mom always listened to like John Cicada and Celine Dion and like all of this like goofy shit. And I, I was laughing really hard because my wife and I will listen to like Celine Dion now, like thinking about like how our parents listened to it when we were kids. And I'm like, shit, some of these are bangers, though. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all coming back to me now is a fucking epic banger. <laughs> Do you know the story behind it?
2: Well, it was written for Meatloaf, right? Yeah.
1: So Jim Steinman <laughs> wrote it. And then uh, Meatloaf actually played it like on uh, Bad Out of Hell 3, if you're wondering. Yeah, which and,
2: I believe Bad Out of Hell Three starts with
1: Meatloaf's attempt at a new metal song, yep. and it is awful. <laughs> like, so we we saw him live. Bad Out of Hell Two is kind of what like defined my brother and I musically, where it's like it added this like kind of like theatric epic feeling thing to music. So we were always like, Jim Steinman's the fucking man. This dude rules. And then never got to see him, obviously. And then years later, this is like god whenever bad out of hell three came out so it could be 10 years could be five years time is irrelevant because covid we went to go see him and i was like i was reading something that like his voice is kind of weird now or something and then someone's like yeah he's like he's going through some stuff but it is what it is so he's playing like a half sold out amphitheater and oh man like his vibrato is so shot so he would just be like "Ah." like that's how he would sing like he was like literally shaking his head to like (laughs) do a like a forced vibrato on certain notes and he played that song and i'm like it's the duet it's gonna be sick and then it was just very very sad and the whole time like i was like should we clap because i don't think he should keep going he should go home (laughs) oh man (laughs) that's rough yeah.
0: Yeah, man. So, hey, yo. Okay. So, we got to get down to the to the big question here. Is it one hit thunder, meaning the band totally deserved their hit, all the success, or was it a one hit blunder? Why did this happen? This shouldn't. This shouldn't be. This band uh, did not deserve to have this happen. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, what, what, what's your? We'll, we'll start with you. What's what's your call on this?
2: I'm going to go with a blunder on this one. Um, I do love the song. I'm glad that the song exists in my life. But uh, if they were just like this big UK sensation that never really made it over to the States, I feel like I'd like the song even more as like something that I just kind of stumbled upon one day. Like someone's like, oh, you should check out this band from the UK that like never broke here. But like looking at their back catalog, nothing has really reached the heights of this two minute, one second Performance, right? What do you think, John?
1: B- thunder or blunder? As someone who still feels joy from the song, I'd say thunder, okay. but very much so in the sense of I think the hit was deserved, but I'm glad it wasn't any of the other songs because those didn't deserve it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm the I'm the deciding vote here. I'm going to come from I've come from this point a couple times, and I know John is going to be able to relate, but. As a dude who's played in a band for 23 years and and has, you know, really put my heart and soul into music for so long, the fact that this band could write this bullshit song and still be making money off of it, even though their other songs weren't good. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to give them I'm going to give them a blunder because, you know, we had
2: a blunder in a hot minute. You gave a thunder to to rude. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think, I'm going to go blunder
0: on this song. This song kind of like just reminds me, like I said, of that, like wish 99.7 uh, teaser they play during commercials or whatever. Never liked it. I can appreciate the songwriting of it in a way it's kind of, I never really like thought of it, but it's kind of like in that same world of like that thing you do song and, and stuff like it is kind of that, you know, th- it has those harmonies and it has, you know, an undeniable melody or whatever but i'm looking at the entire catalog and i'm coming from the perspective of a slightly bitter guy in a band about about music in general and i'm also coming from a dude who in 1995 liked punk rock and thought this was the worst song ever so i'm going blunder on this one sorry guys
2: i I will give (laughs) i will give thunder to the music video though
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with, I'll, I'll give you that.
2: <laughs> uh, but hey, Jonah,
0: it's been really uh, great having you on, man. Thanks for uh, talking to us.
1: Yeah, just thanks for like hating the song that makes me so happy. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no,
0: man, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I'm not trying to bring you down. Not, not one bit. Just, I love
1: the idea of my like, emotional stability being tied to if people like roll to me by Dimitri.
0: <laughs> yeah i didn't mean to. <laughs> i didn't mean to bring you down man
1: <laughs> like how's everything been you know i'm like launching a new company and like working on comics and the inevitables was successful on kickstarter right and i'm getting married but yeah these two guys didn't like yeah. uh roll to me as much as i did this year's pretty rough dude <laughs> yeah
0: get to sleep
2: this has been one hit thunder one hit thunder is produced by matt kelly as part of the geekscape network and hosted by chris Fafalios of the bands punchline pack and another cheetah underneath me you're hearing i swear i've been here before off punchline's ep so nice to meet you visit punchlion.com and grab a copy as well as stay in the loop with future tour dates future releases and band news let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at one hit thunder podcast at gmail.com And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
0: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.